This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. And welcome to episode 70 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking quite autumnal in his brown jumper, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. In Cambridge, looking kind of rosy this morning. Um, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Fredrickson, a bullient as ever. I thought I'd go a little early for Christmas, so I brought out a jumper. Border Terrier wearing a Christmas hat. So a little nod to uh, to the festive season, which is nearly upon us. And um, I suppose actually someone whose Instagram feed is quite often full of Christmas inspiration, as well as lots Indeed. of gardening inspiration, is uh, is the frustrated gardener, Dan Cooper, back by popular demand. How the devil are you? I'm so well, thank you very much. And do you know, if I'd known you were going to wear the Christmas jumper, I was going to put a Christmas tree up, actually, where that where the lemur is behind me. And I thought, no, I can't do that because there'll be a pause that is <laughs> near my office. So, uh, Hang on, you have a lot of Christmas trees though. How many do you put up in the well, end? Well, that will be number 10, because that will be oh! a new one. I haven't got any, any Christmas trees up yet though. So I'm being very good. When you say 10, we're not talking like 10 tiny Christmas trees. No. Like you, you go big with Christmas trees. Yes, six foot is the smallest, and then we're all sort of six or seven or eight. I am kind of surprised you have time in your life to do 10 Christmas trees, or a Christmas tree really, because it must be all stations go like absolutely non-stop getting ready for a very exciting venture which is launching next spring you've just started talking about it on your social media so i think we can we can open the floodgates and fully announce what's coming up from you <laughs> well that's very kind of you um yes no i have finally broken free from uh, john lewis where i've worked for 20, nearly 26 years now it's the longest temp job i've ever had i sort of went <laughs> i went there meaning to stay for six months and ended there for nearly 26 years um so yes I am going to start an online business and I'm going to be trying to bring together like the very best gardening products that there are out there and accompany them with lots of really great advice and inspiration because I think the problem we all have is that we all have a lot of stuff we all want someone to do the hard work and the editing for us so I'm going to try and do that by finding the best things that there are out there and then making lots of fabulous content to help people use them and get the most out of them. So that's the plan. That is so exciting because Graham has, has been um, looking for, I think he's found one now, sorry, but <laughs> he was looking for a sizable tool carrier. I mean, hand to gardening hand tools, um, but something that, you know, you can get a sort of a metre long fork in he was using an old log carrier to, to actually cart his tools around in. Yeah. So, you know, it's quite important to do the editing bit, isn't it? Yes. I mean, we, we don't need more stuff, do we? We just need the right stuff. And I think yeah. um, there are lots of places that, that shall remain nameless where you can get just about anything in the world if you look hard enough. I'll tell you what I always say, Dan. They sell everything you didn't know you couldn't live without. <laughs> Exactly. So I want to be the absolute opposite of that and just really try and take the hard work out of it for people. And 
and demystify lots of things about gardens and gardening, really, because I think a lot of people find it difficult to, you know, take their first steps into gardening because it's such a labyrinthine subject, isn't it? And it's, yeah. it's overwhelming, I think, for people who what are. Is the, what is the title of your business? It's called Dan Cooper Garden. It's so inventive, Alan. But, no, 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 it's good. That's good. It's simple and to the point. A marketing person said people spend way too long sweating over names and then they come up with something completely contrived and ridiculous. And you may as well just say what it is on the tin. So yes. I think that's about as plain. I agree. As no, I do agree. Though. Yeah, because the other option is you spend your life wishing you did a gardening programme called Talking Dirty and then so call your podcast Talking Dirty. And then when everyone tries to find it, they end up stuck with porn. So that's the other <laughs> option. <laughs> Dan Cooper Garden, probably wise. Yes. I, well, hopefully there's nothing too much that can go wrong with that. Um, but of course, these days, it's, you know, you can't just come up with a name for something. You've got to check that you can get the Instagram account and the Facebook account and the .com and the .co.uk. And it's, um, you know, and it's easy if you go for your own name because the likelihood is no one's sort of snapped that up already. Yeah. But, um Yes, yeah, so hopefully it will um, it will launch in the spring. So I'm going for sort of late February-ish for a sort of soft launch and then properly in April. So, um, yeah, there will not be a dull moment this winter, <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> this is uh, why, incidentally, for anyone who watches all the video versions of the podcast, we're used to seeing Dan in your wonderful garden room with the plants sort of crowding in like they're going to take over the screen by the end of the video. Um, but A, because it's quite full and probably quite maybe not quite so suitable, but also because this is your office now. This is the heart of your empire. <laughs> it is yes I mean it is actually quite nice so this room is a sort of spare room excess room in the house it's right at the very top so I get to not only uh look at your lovely face but just the other side of the computer screen is the sea so um I, I've got my binoculars just over there and if I get bored I can sort of see what's going on in the English channel there's lots of people been fishing the last few uh, weeks because it's been so, so calm here. I don't know what it's been like in Norfolk, but um, the the sea has been flat calm a lot of the time, apart from, you know, the odd day. So I think we're I think we're a little bit choppier than that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's we don't get many days with flat calm here. <laughs> you talk, still talking about the sea, Alan? Yes. <laughs> Um, and I should say, before we stop talking about your exciting business, Dan, um, you've, you mean, you've really got some great people involved, because like you said, it's not just about coming up with a name. It's about all of the stuff that goes behind it, like the branding and some very top notch photography. Yes. Aren't I lucky? I mean, I think we all realise, don't we, that, you know, it pays to be nice to people in, in life. And, and never do you learn that more than when you start to do something different or you take the plunge and you realize that you know by being a, a good person or as good as you can that you know people will then do things to, to help you and I've been really very overwhelmed by all of that over the last few months because you know I don't I don't intentionally do it but I you know I've always tried to sort of do the best by people and then and then they 
pay that back. So it's just been really lovely that lots of people have wanted to support what I'm doing. And I I just got very lucky with Marianne, I have to I have to say, because um I I dropped her a line just before the Chelsea Fire Show, and I realized at that point that I was gonna try creating this business in the middle of winter and at some point I was gonna turn around and go oh I need some photographs um so I dropped Marianne a line because she's photographed the garden a few times over the years she first photographed it the year it was sort of constructed and it it's virtually unrecognizable from from that now and um she said oh that's good because I'm at Chelsea I'm driving back to Luxembourg, um, where, where Marianne lives now, and um, I can stop off with you on the way home. So useful being near Dover, useful, <laughs> useful that I have the wheeze, um, you know, just around the time she was over for Chelsea. And yes, yeah, she took some absolutely stunning photographs and a lot of them as well so um, you will be spammed with more of Marianne's marvellous images over the next uh, few months but yeah she's very very talented and um, I'm very lucky to count her as a friend. Oh that's wonderful the photos we've only seen a couple so far but they look fabulous and of course the wonderful thing about this business is you can bring all of your lifetime's worth of gardening knowledge and uh, and all of the time you've spent honing your writing skills on frustrated gardener which it's worth saying will be continuing that blog i don't know how you find the time for all these things man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you can bring it all together with dan cooper garden and um and share the love of plants which we're going to delve into with your show and tell Yes. Are you ready for that? I don't know. Are we, <laughs> Are we ever, ever ready? ready? <laughs> <laughs> now, what shall I start? What shall I start with? Because I've got I've got a few just sort of interesting um, flowers, and then I've got a I've got a sort of series of evergreen plants that I think are really good for coastal gardens and small gardens because it you know. Alan knows this best than anybody on this call, but structure is all important, particularly during the winter. And a garden without that will look very um, drab and messy in the winter months. So even in a tiny garden, it's quite important to have evergreens to give you a bit of structure and a bit of colour and something. So when plants come up in the spring, there's something that they can sit against and look beautiful. So wh where shall I... Where Shall I go first? What do you, do you fancy, want... Alan? I rather fancy the, the, the sound of the dahlia that he tempted us uh, with. Ah, okay. So, <laughs> <the very> beginning. <laughs> so um, species dahlias, which we talked about a little bit um, yeah. when we did the dahlia episode. Um, the, the big tree dahlias, Alan knows, flower very, very late in the season. Yeah. And it's kind of always a bit iffy uh, whether they flower or not. We've got um, some absolute whoppers up at the allotment and they have just this week started to flower and they are covered in buds. So I'm really hoping that this weekend isn't sub-zero because otherwise we're never going to get to see those, but they are cracking. The one that I didn't get to show you last time was Dahlia tamolipana, which is... Um, a Nick Mesa introduction from, from about 10 years ago. And I first saw this actually in uh, the salutation with Steve growing to some phenomenal height, something like 15 foot. 
And the big difference with Tamaulipana is um, that it has very, very dark green foliage, quite unusual sort of shape, which I'm going to show you. And, um, and also that it's extremely hardy. So um, I, I think that it, it doesn't need to be lifted and bought in. I think it can just stay outside. So luckily enough, we've got, I've got this growing in a pot, which I, I wouldn't really suggest is probably how it ought to be grown. Because um, it, it, but it doesn't get so big. And it, but it needs a lot of watering. So here we are. So here is uh, Dahlia tamaulipana. This is pretty typical, isn't it, Alan, of uh, a species Dahlia flower. They're all pinkish and small. Um, but you have to imagine this plant is, um, even in a pot, is nine foot tall. Um, and if you had it in the garden, it'd be about 15 foot. But um, you can see, I think, that the foliage is is quite is a little bit different um and when it's these are obviously the leaves on the flowering stems but when they um are lower down the plant they're much sort of denser and darker and more ferny but it's a really a really lovely thing and i'm i'm hoping that it gets through the weekend because there are a few more flowers to come on that well I, I, you've actually just struck a chord with me because i've got exactly that flower and a very similar leaf on a dahlia in a pot um, in my greenhouse, and it's, it's just opened about two weeks ago, mm. and I don't know the name of it, and I don't know where I got it from. I mean, it's lost in the midst of time. But mine, it, it, it can't be the same because it's nowhere near as big as that. It's only about six feet, but it could be, I suppose. It could be. I suppose it just depends. I find when they're in a pot, it very much depends how much you feed and water them, how big they get. Yeah. This, yeah. this is really needy in a, in a pot because they need a lot of water really and the pot's not, not ideal. So I have to water this at least every other day in the summer, otherwise it doesn't sort of get moving. But, yeah. but of course it's easier then in the winter to move it somewhere if you want to. But I think this one is pretty hardy. And, but you can, I mean, even the, the leaves on the flowering stalk, you know, there's a good, two and a half foot from one side to the other. And when it's growing really big, that would be six foot, you know, span yeah. you're getting yeah. there. So um, quite an interesting stem profile as well. So it's it's quite fluted, unlike the the sort of smooth stem, stems of Imperialis. Yeah. So a little bit, a little bit different, but that's that's nice. And I, I just feel very lucky to have got some flowers. Um, yeah. You know, ev everything that's flowering in the garden at this, time is a treasure isn't it so yes so now I've got a couple of salvias now this one is an absolute brute um so this is um salvia mexicana um and it has forced its way through the roof of our greenhouse um, <laughs> so it's literally pushed a pane of glass out and uh, and gone up through it so it's 10 foot tall now and absolutely covered in in these spikes of flowers so I'm hopeful that actually these will be okay because the plant itself is in the greenhouse and hopefully that's getting a little bit of warmth from from there there is um there is a variety of this called limelight I think which has much much brighter yellow green bracts in the middle um and that looks like it's worth finding but it is an absolutely huge salvia. So I think it'd probably be, you know, a good one for a cold greenhouse or a very sheltered spot in the garden with quite a lot of 
staking, I should think. Have you come across that one, Alan? No, I haven't. I've made a note, though, because I think it, I think it looks lovely. Um, there are quite a few salvias that do reach those kind of proportions, actually. Mm. Um, I've got salvia con colour in the garden, which is blue flowers, um, and that's as hardy as old boots. But, I mean, do you know the hardiness of this one? I, I don't, but it's it's always been in, in an unheated greenhouse. Um, yeah. I put it out, it, it did stand outside and looked a little bit jaded last November, so I kind of put it back in again. I mean, it's very common in Mexico, but I, so I imagine it is probably a little bit on the tender side here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's nice to have those plants, but you... Any, any plant that flowers, I mean, I said on this previous podcast that what I'd really like to do, whether I'll ever be able to do it or not, I don't know. But what I'd really like to do is to be, build a big enough structure that I can call a winter garden, which is, is covered. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, for all the late flowering plants and the winter flowering salvias that just need just that little bit more extra protection from frost be well worthwhile. I'm, I'm totally with you on that and I would be the same because uh, uh, interestingly I think a lot of the impatience which I, yeah. I love they they're not really that bothered about um, heat but they just do not like being buffeted about by the wind. Mm. Um, they just to, to be perfect and just see their sort of flowering cycle through they just need a little bit longer. I've got some um, Impatience Balanze, I think it is, outside, which has these incredible flowers that look a little bit like tropical fish with great big lips. And that's that's one of those impatiens that, you know, if you had such a structure, that would that would go right the way through looking beautiful. As it is, it's sort of like borderline outside. It's totally hardy. So I left it outside in a pot last year and it got snow and everything on it and it came back. But it's just not as beautiful as it would be if it had been... Um, just that bit of a protection. So I, you know, yeah, that would that would be the dream, wouldn't it? Just that little yeah. bit of shelter and cover to keep, keep them going. Yeah. We often hear about Alan and Graham having these sort of heated debates in the garden. I wonder if anyone will hear any about this winter garden. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Watch oh. this space. <laughs> so, Dan, uh, that, that was a, a very exciting plume of a salvia. What was your other salvia? Well, this one is a lot, a lot more common, obviously. This is Salvia involucrata bethelii, but nevertheless, I think it, it has a very long flowering season. So Mexicana's only just started flowering. This has been flowering for months already. And I'm quite mean to this. You know, I don't um, mollycoddle it very much. The, what I, I love is the colour of the flowers because they, they are very good against... Um, for example, other salvias like Amistad, they work quite well with the sort of fuchsia and the, the dark blue. And they're really good with autumn colours. So if you get a bright yellow or an orange somewhere with that. So this is growing in front of the, a lot of gingers, which um, actually, which I can sort of show you a bit of ginger now, because that was my next thing. But, you know, when you get the, um, but everything's getting caught up now. I know what I'm doing when I'm talking to you now. I've even got like a, a mat down on the floor for all the water that's going to drip around all over the place. Um, oh. But when you get the sort of berries on the gingers and then, then you can put the pink next to it, it's, it's quite a nice, um, 
quite a nice shock of colour, isn't it? The only drawback with this is that it is the most annoyingly brittle plant alive. So bits of it snap off constantly. So not something to grow in a windy spot. <laughs> just um, Or indeed where you brush past it a lot, because I'm always snapping bits off by accident in my garden. But it's... Um, it's it's a great one and when it's grown well and Steve who you spoke to um last week is someone who grows this really well in his own garden it's it's a really quite beautiful sort of shrubby plant I think it's one of those plants that are such proportions that it almost looks when when it's well grown it looks more like a shrub than a, an a herbaceous perennial doesn't it yes it does uh, and it's and it's it's very nice and um Anything that really sees you through till uh, November or December is priceless, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think that would look rather nice next to my purple cotinus when it starts to get all the red and pink splotches yeah. on the leaves and then that, that pink salvia. Feeling yeah. inspired. <laughs> um, and then I've, so I've got this beast. I don't know why, but it's been a very good year this year for uh, gingers setting fruit and seed so i usually get some and some uh, varieties are better than others that get you know doing this um but this year has been absolutely terrific um this is helen dillon which is basically the cultivated form of uh hedicium forestii very very gorgeous um white flowers with um bright orange anthers that come out probably August time. It's one of the one of the earlier ones to flower. And then right now you you, you get a lot of generosity from gingers actually. I, I think, think people think that they're very, you know, that they, they don't, they're not long in flower. Um, but of course you've got the wonderful foliage. They go the most marvellous colours in autumn. They will go right through to like buttery, orange yellow um, at the very end before they decide to um, fall apart but I really love these these berries that they get they're very very bright and if you're um if you're wanting to multiply gingers then um within these sort of fleshy red parts there are seeds which are pretty easy to extract and we because we find that they they if we don't sort of take them off they will fall onto the surface grit of pots and then the following year you'll find them coming up everywhere so they're not um they're not difficult to grow from seed i don't i don't know what would happen with this one whether you would get true seedlings but certainly with um unanensi which is the one the one that i grow quite a bit of they definitely do come up um true from seed but i think i think they're very striking um the seed heads i i i think it's it's valuable to leave them on and get them to that stage. There is another ginger called um, Hedicium greenii, which right at the end of these stems actually creates little baby plants that you can snap off. So you get little bulb uh, bulbils. I don't, they're not bulbils. They're, <laughs> they're rhizomes, but you get a little a little baby plant that that comes from this end, and yes, you can just take them off, pop them in some compost, and they they grow away nicely. How wonderful. The, the leaf colour as well is just fantastic, isn't it? Yes. And they when you get a big clump of them, they look like sort of parrot feathers. They look very exotic. <laughs> then, then I can start to sort of segue, I guess, into some of the, the greenery. But I wanted to just um, 
there's a couple of things I thought uh, were nice to show you. This is um, Anisodontia capensis El Rayo or El Royo. It depends which website you look at how it's spelled, but this is a plant plant that never ever doesn't have a flower on it. So um, literally 365 days of the year, this little mallow relative will have a flower on it. So, you know, I know I, there are a rare and precious thing, uh, plants that flower all year round, and that, that is one of them. So um, well worth tracking that down. It, it does need a bit of a trim, otherwise it becomes quite a big, tall, leggy thing. But brilliant. I mean, on Christmas Day, still be covered in flowers. So I like that. And then one other little flowering gem is oh. um, Correa Marion's Marvel. The, the Victorians yeah. thought that Correas were um, conservatory plants. They, they grew them indoors. They, they probably are um, in colder areas, but this one is stays outside all the time for me. Starts producing these little um, shaded bells. I don't know how well can it's, it's yeah, that, yeah, yeah, great. Starts um, producing those in October and it will finish around April. Um, but it just continually producing those, probably um, with a peak sort of in early spring. But um, I love the colour. It's, it's Australian. It's an Australian shrub. Um, and I've also just managed to find a variegated one with, with a sort of richer pink flower, which um, is, is sort of quite low growing and in a pot outside. Oh, you have some of these outside, don't you, Alan? Yes, I've got that one um, in particular. It grows um, outside in the kitchen courtyard and it grows on one of the walls of the tea room as well. Um, and it does astonish people because it, that starts to flower before we close the garden. We close the garden at the end of October. And visitors are always, always fascinated by these lovely little sort of primrose and pink bells that yeah. uh, you just saw. They're lovely things. Yes, it's a great, a great plant. The only thing I've you, you do have to be careful not to overwater it. I have I have killed one once by um, letting it be too damp. So I think it's you know you just have to you just have to get into your head that it's Australian and therefore it probably is used to a bit bit more drought than it gets here and then it will be happy and grow nicely. And it and it yeah it's interesting that you've got it against a wall because it it it's quite. Um, it can Love be quite sort of willowy, can't it? So yeah. I yeah. think the wall would suit it really well. Yeah. Talking of uh, A, killing things, and B, things with really interesting flowers, uh, when we last spoke, you assured me my tropiolum pentaphyllum would return because they can be quite enthusiastic. And uh, sure enough, I eventually brought it inside. It's in... There are lots of things on bathroom windowsills in my house and um, it's now rampaging. It's trying to take over my bathroom, I think. So you were right. It did come back. When it first came back, it's like an alien. Yes. I saw these sort of weird, very uh, keen stems that suddenly shoot up and you can't, I mean, I obviously knew what it was because I knew what was in the pot, but it was like some sort of strange alien was about to invade my bathroom. You, you just you just reminded me of something because I was walking along the front of the house the other day and I looked down and, there are the, some tubers from Tropiolum pentaphyllum on the, on the surface of the soil. They look a bit like small, ridgy melons, um, you know, about the size of a goose egg, I suppose. And um, I've just reminded me I've got to cover those up. <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> Set an alarm. 
don't forget yeah. to protect the. I mean, they are absolutely wonderful flowers. If you uh, if you don't know them for some reason, they're just extraordinary. Um, but yes, you were right, Dan. It was not to be thwarted by whatever. <laughs> I think it was slugs that sort of et it down, but it's come back, so I'm very happy. Yeah, they're persistent things, and of course they've got that tuber, haven't they, which allows them to sort of withstand you know, adversity. I've been lots of times when I've sort of ripped it out of the greenhouse and thought, well, that's probably, you know, I've probably gone too far this time, but um, no, always comes back. So that's good news. And I mean, actually not dissimilar flower colour to that um, Korea, really. It's you've got that mm. sort of green and salmon coral sort of combination. Yeah, really speckling. Right, I better get some evergreens out now. So I'm going to... Um, I'm going to start off with some ferns because dry shade, you know, you know, quite dark spots. That, that's a problem for a lot of people. And I've, I've, um, I've got a few things that I find brilliant. And um, the the first one is um, this is Certomium falcatum. Um, so you can, I bet you can see how glossy that is. Wow. Glossy here. So. This is, I think, Japanese holly fern. You can see how long that leaf is. They grow to, they can grow to about three foot, I guess. Um, but I am so mean to this. It, gro it grows in a, the most unpromising spot, quite dark, deep shade, uh, very, very little water, and it is, it still manages to produce these leaves on a regular basis, it never gets that sort of dull sheen that, um, but you know, some some plants do when they're not, you know, in their ideal conditions. So it's a really fantastic fern for a very difficult spot. And actually, if if you're into flower arranging and things like that, it's quite a useful fern to have around because you you can always guarantee you're going to get these leaves. Have you tried this? Anyone tried this one? I haven't. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> desperate to that. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly where I want to put that in my garden. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once it gets going, it doesn't produce lots and lots of leaves every year. So it's so get a if you if you're shopping for these, get a, a you know a decent sized um, plant because it it doesn't grow fast. But um, and and I dare say if it was happier than I make it, it would do a lot better. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Um, this one is um, Polistica munitum, which um, I first came across this looking fabulous at um, Castle Drogo, I think. If you're familiar with that garden, they've got these pavilions at the corner of this uh, square space. It's probably got a name and they are covered in uh, some sort of climber. So the bed underneath is completely in the dark. And I think two of the beds have got Azaram in and the other two beds have got this in. Um, but it, it's a bit like an outdoor Boston fern. It's got that sort of look about it. It um, grows brilliantly in a pot and it is evergreen, but it looks it looks very fresh all the time. So I, I think that's a cracking fern. And again, you can be pretty mean to that. So. <laughs> I think I think anything that you can be mean to is um, is useful, particularly when you're growing lots of like um, needy plants like dahlias. You need the rest to get on with it uh, themselves. And then this one um, is one of the plants I must have grown for the longest in my life. It is dripping everywhere, um, <laughs> which is Polysticum 
Sotifera and Heron has them. So this is a very low growing feathery fern. I don't know if you can see all these little plantlets or little sprigs coming off all over it here. I just got this one from quite low down in the plant. Um, but it's very, very pretty. This is semi-evergreen. So the leaves will go right the way through the winter and then it's a good idea to um, top them off just before the new ones come through. Otherwise you'd get these go brown and then it's a bit difficult to pull them out separately. But it's like a little, like a little forest on its own, isn't it? Yes. Um, it's a lovely thing, very good for ground cover. I've got water like running right down my arms there. <laughs> <laughs> Once I've done this, you know, when we're on episode 200 and something, I'll have worked out how not to get soaked with water when I do it. I feel like we're really fortunate that we just sit and enjoy the plants and anyone who's doing the show and tell, they end up. It's like if you host a party and everyone leaves having had a good time and you're left with a cleanup operation. You know, <laughs> we we go away and uh, and you end up with plants all over your house, water dripping down your arm, puddles everywhere. <laughs> no, it's fun. Seriously, I, it's fun. Um, and they will all, I'll do something with all of those later and keep them. So, so those are, those are a few sort of good um, evergreen ground covery things. I'd say pots for any of those. And um, probably the uh, Sertomium is a little bit on the tender side, but the rest should be fine. Um, so then I've got some, some trees. So again, I, when, when people visit the garden, I get asked a lot about what are the trees? So I've, I've got the bits of the three main ones, but um, it's, it's because I think for small gardens, people are obviously wary of planting something that's going to get very large. And also where I live is, is by the coast, the winds can be quite cold and trees also, you know, you might be planting them somewhere where there's not a lot of root space for them. So some trees are a little bit adventurous, as we all know, when it comes <laughs> to their roots, um, and, and up, but others are not. And the absolute epitome of ones that are not are the pseudopanax. So I just found out this morning, actually, whilst I was um, checking, well, making sure I got the name of this right. This is pseudopanax chatanica from the Chatham Islands, which is sort of New Zealand way. And... Um, I hadn't appreciated, I do know that um, pseudopanax have very, very tiny root balls. So if you, if you want a tree that will grow in a pot for a long time and, and possibly be quite neglected, then any of the pseudopanax are a good bet. But I didn't know that actually many of them uh, grow as epiphytes in their native habitat. So they actually um, grow within other trees and they, they don't actually grow, so they never really touch the ground. So they'll find some nice uh, sort of mossy intersection between branches, seed themselves there and, and off they go. So, the, so Pseudopanax tatamica is, is growing in my garden as a tree, but it's very slow growing. The root ball is very small. And so if you had a raised bed or a very large planter or something like that, it would be a great tree. And it's evergreen and you get these um, berries that look a li little bit ivy-like. They, they go black, they don't do anything um, very spectacular. But it is, it is a good tree if, you've, if you're in a very exposed location and you haven't got much ground to grow it in. And again, lots of nice sort of glossy foliage. So 
That's a good one. And um, we should uh, remind people who don't perchance know about how difficult your growing conditions are that you are in a very small space and you don't have a lot of soil to speak of no well I have no no ground at all because underneath the garden is is cellars vaults um so the trees that I do have are growing in a in a pretty sizable raised bed um I would say it's probably it's probably 20 foot long and probably six foot across but it, it's perfectly fine there Obviously, if you do live by the coast, like me, then staking trees is quite important, particularly in a raised bed, because they can, they can rock around quite easily. So that's that one. Then um, probably the best tree, well, definitely the prettiest tree I have in the garden and the most bulletproof is Filaria latifolia, which is commonly known as green olive or I think Japanese temple tree, but it's this, I can't really recognize, recommend this highly enough, this tree, um, for many, many purposes. So it is, um, it's, it's a tree that grows quite slowly. It has very pretty silvery um, bark and, and it, it sort of tidies itself up as it grows, which is a a blessing I think for a tree so it's it, it's grown in Japan outside temples because it tends to um, cloud prune itself so the older it becomes the more beautiful and cloud-like the shape becomes and ours is just starting to do it now it's sort of it's 15-ish years old and it's starting to produce these beautiful um, clear branches with these nice sort of puffs of, of green foliage on. And if anyone wants to see a really sort of venerable one, I think there's one at Kenwood House in the, in the walled garden, which is absolutely beautiful. But the, the, the good thing about um, this tree, I think, is that it's a quite a good substitute for trickier um, evergreens. So it can be used like box, um, for, for a hedge and it can be clipped and obviously box has lots of um, has lots of foes at the moment yeah. so it's possible substitute for that uh, similarly for something like you if if people struggle to grow that it could be used as a substitute and also it's a slightly finer thing than bay for sort of clipping into a nice um, like a ball or making some topiary out of I think it's probably like most trees, best left to its own devices and allowed to achieve its perfect um, shape. I, I will just say, um, because I think people think evergreen trees don't ever drop their leaves. Um, unfortunately, they all do. And generally at a really inconvenient time, sort of in the middle of summer. Um, so, you know, it's not that they don't ever drop their leaves, it's just that they always have some leaves, but it, it will create a bit of a mess in midsummer when all the old leaves drop off. But apart from that, hard to fault this. It's, I think, um, architectural plants for mine came from, say that it's sort of indestructible. Um, so I would highly recommend that. Do, do you grow that one? Do you agree that, Alan, somewhere? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I fully concur with you about leaves because we've got the evergreen oak on either side of our gateway when you come into the house here. 
And in midsummer, the ground every day, sweep it and rake it every other day, it comes, it's covered with leaves, dead leaves. I don't know why, but I always have the feeling that evergreen trees take longer when they shed their leaves. They, they do it over a protracted period. Um, but just, you know, deciduous trees don't do that. They tend to go all at once, don't they? Yeah, I think evergreen, I mean, uh, the bay, which I'm about to show you, has been shedding its leaves seemingly forever. Mm. And um, and they're not nice leaves either. You know, sort of the leaves of deciduous trees will rot down and, and shrivel up and make themselves small. The, you, you don't get that with evergreens. You know, they don't rot down particularly um, quickly. And and yes, they're just it's just constant. Um, mess so you have to be you have to be aware of that i think also you know i think that a, a lot of trees have leaves that have chemicals within them that suppress the growth of other plants so you you shouldn't you can't really leave them lying around because the, they have a uh, an evolutionary tactic i guess of um protecting their space by um having leaves i think beech is the is the main tree that does it but the, the leaves of beech actually prevent other things from um growing up underneath them so yes yeah, a good you have to as alan says you have to constant sweeping up and clearing up exercise unfortunately <laughs> i have um so I've got this next, which is much commented on when people come and see the gardens. This is narrow-leaved bay, um, Loris nobilis angustifolia, was at one time pretty rare. And then I think few people have got hold of it, like architectural plants, um, and now it's becoming a little bit more common. What is what is lovely about it is that it, it's got this much narrower leaf and a much paler leaf than... Um, than bay that, that, that we're accustomed with. The, from a culinary point of view, you can use it in exactly the same way, but it just produces a much um, prettier and more delicate looking tree um, and with lighter foliage. So it's not quite as such a sort of solid force in the garden. Um, again, totally, totally hardy here and, and bears the brunt of any sort of southerly or southwesterly winds here without flinching so very very nice if you can track that down and a lot of a lot of great gardens will will have one of these somewhere there was the, there must have been a point in the Victorian era where it was the must-have plant because it, it seems to you know occupy a prime position in places like Kew and Wakehurst and things like that so but a nice a nice tree and a nice alternative to your normal bog standard bay when you're talking about bay leaf bay bay trees yeah um i've got the golden leaf bay um Ooh. in my kitchen courtyard and it, it when i planted it it didn't obviously get enough light so it stayed green and i thought oh, i've been sold a pup now i first saw this tree near where thunder used to live in norwich actually that that's thought of course <laughs> <laughs> um and i saw i driving home one day and it was lit by the winter sun this bright golden tree and i thought my gosh i've got to have that well now mine has grown up out of the darkness and it is tall and it's absolutely lovely in the winter it it just glows it looks beautiful Oh, I need to look that up because I didn't know I such a do, thing yeah. existed. That sounds, yeah, yeah. that sounds lovely. Yeah, it is. Brilliant. Um, yeah, because there are there is there are a lot of evergreens that are very dark, aren't there? So it's yeah. like, you know, 
yeah. anything that brings a bit of variety into that yeah. um, mix is good. And the other thing that I noticed that with your evergreens, I mean, with the Pseudopanax and the Filaria, they both have, they're quite dark leaves, but they're shiny. And that makes all the difference because they reflect the light and they look cheerful. Yes. And that's very important in the winter. I, yeah, I took the dogs for a walk this morning in the wet and um, in the park there was some um, you know butcher's broom and it's such a sort of dull looking it sort of always looks like it's on its absolute last legs yeah, and, and yeah so you you don't really want that do you you want and no. particularly a lot of these plants you know quite good for bringing in for your festive flower arrangements and things and you want that sort of um lift nice, yeah lift exactly um so one last one, I promise, which is, um, which, so this grows, there's the only plant that really grows outside our house because we're straight onto the um, street. But this is Sephora, Sephora. Um, I think it's Microphila Sun King or just Sun King would, would find you it if you wanted. New Zealand shrub, I think. This has been, absolutely brutalized so the 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 previous owners um of our garage um decided to um cut this down i i had planted it out there but they decided to cut it down for some reason and grind the stump out um and it came back <laughs> better better than ever and um so, so it's very pretty, sort of um, leguminous foliage, I guess, um, which which it probably is in that family. And you can you can see probably slightly already that there are those are the buds which are going to produce sort of long yellow, um, very elegant flowers, very very bright yellow flowers in. Um, any time from April onwards. We we had some very early last year. It was I'm not quite sure why, but um, it, it it produces these sort of waxy, long waxy bells, um, which are very welcome, sort of around the time that it flowers. Um, again, I think like all of these shrubs, probably very very hardy in coastal areas. They may all be a little bit more borderline further up the country. This one actually, um, in our local park, the same place I saw the butcher's broom this morning, there is one that's tree sized, which is must have been planted um, sort of, you know, back in the early um, 19th century. But um, it's a very nice, and it, you can cut this one back, you can train it against a wall. The most beautiful one I ever saw was in um, Hampstead and it had been trained um, along a sort of scalloped iron fence um and was really quite restricted but it, it looked very beautiful so that is my last evergreen recommendation that's actually known in new zealand as the koai yes i think you're right i think you're right yeah. yeah yeah um i've got two forms of bought both bought as sun king one flowers i think probably three weeks before the other and it also flowers with much more vigour. And I think probably it's because I chopped the one back in the front courtyard a little bit to keep it within bounds. But if you can let it go, it is a stonkingly good shrub. There's also one called Little Baby, I think, which is a prostrate growing one. So if you really haven't got much space and you want that flash of yellow in April and May, go for Little Baby. 
Mm. Well, that's a good recommendation. Yes, I. I mean, it's, I just love it. It's it. People will stop in the street and sort of comment on it, and of course, most people aren't that familiar with it, so they can't no. can't quite mm. place it. Um, but but not difficult to find in the garden centre. I don't, I don't think you'll, no. you'll you'll soon find it. Yeah. To, to go back to Dan Cooper Garden, your exciting yeah. new venture. I mean, are you sort of waking up at night and thinking about all the things that you want to be able to share and do and pass on to, you know, hopefully lots of new gardeners who might sort of have caught the gardening bug maybe during the pandemic and then happen upon your business and you are kind of able to guide them a bit? Yes. I mean, it's 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 quite overwhelming when you can't start thinking about all the things that you could do or that I would like to do and I'm kind of having to you know I'm I'm always very like oh I'll just I'll do that now you know I don't I, I don't like putting things off so I, I am trying to I'm trying to keep myself within some bounds because otherwise I'm just like you know I'm like oh I'm over here I'm over there um but you know it, it is really exciting I I'm going to spend I think the next two months writing the content for the site so I'm going to try and take um what I do with the frustrated gardener and make it a little bit more what I would call sort of evergreen um so content that will you know that will be readable at any, at any time of the year so that's that's my um immediate job is to get that done and uh, and obviously start sourcing all these great products which um you know I have to I have to take my John Lewis hat off and put my Dan Cooper Garden hat on and start really thinking about what I'm going to start with things that I you know I use myself that I truly believe in um you know the secateurs that I would recommend the gloves that I would recommend and all of that sort of stuff but yes it is I mean it is limitless and um and I'm very energy you know starting a new project is always very energizing isn't it so I'm just full of beans every day and <laughs> <laughs> I have a little tale about gardening gloves I went to see Derry Watkins one day and she was selling these these gardening gloves and I think they're about six pounds fifty a pair or seven pounds fifty a pair so I came home and I said to Sarah our secretary I said look I've got these gardening gloves they came from Derry Watkins she said how much did you pay for those I said six fifty or whatever it was she said, straight away on the computer oh I can get them for two ninety nine <laughs> so <laughs> so we bought them for two ninety nine and then a friend of mine came to the garden and said, oh, you've been to Sheringham Marketplace, I see. I said, what do you mean? Oh, she said, I got a pair of those gloves. They were 99p, weren't they? <laughs> Did you tell Derry about <laughs> I think I may have done. I think I may have done. <laughs> oh, the perils of the internet and being able to look up how much something could have cost. Well, that's true. But do you know, I mean, I, I, mean, I used to travel a lot for work and things like that. I think the... For me, it's often the pure fact that you can say I bought these gloves from or I bought that plant from. Exactly. That, that matters massively to me. You know, the story behind a plant, for example, that you, you know, you, there, there are lots of plants you can get anywhere. But if you if you bought, you know, a ginger from the National Collection of Gingers in Chichester, that's that's far more satisfying, isn't it? I think I know yeah. I know that when it comes down to budgets, you can't always. Do, you know shop like that but I yeah. do I do think the provenance of things and and sort of the experience that you got with that is 
is, I mean, I, I dare say a visit to Derry Watkins is preferable to one to sharing a market, but I've not <laughs> been sharing a market, so I don't know. No. <laughs> no, you're quite right. And it's also, I think, it's quite freeing if you go somewhere. You know, I went to Beth Chateau's garden and I knew that I was going to allow myself to go up and down every single corner of the nursery and I would allow myself to buy a number of things. You know that you will treasure all of those plants. Yeah, I think I try harder with plants as well that would, that yeah. would give me. So Jimmy Blake gave me two plants when I visited his garden. And, you know, I feel, I feel very, very uh, honour bound to keep those two plants alive. If they just come from any old gardener centre, I wouldn't feel so bothered. But the fact that sort of Jimmy was kind enough to give them to me, I feel that I must keep them going. So um... I feel exactly the same about a salvia. Ben Preston from um, York Gate in Leeds gave me um, a cutting of salvia atrocyania, which I've coveted in the garden then. He said, well, have a cutting. So I did. And when he came to the garden the following summer, he wanted to see, he asked me specifically, where is it? I want to see it. And I think he wanted to know that I had taken care of it, not just not bothered with it. And I had taken care of it. And, and because it had come from York Gate as a present, I made sure that I, you know, it's top of the list. I had to had to care for this thing. And I love it so much. When I give people plants, I always say to them, I will never ask how this plant is. I don't want this to be a burden. <laughs> Normally, they're not special things, you know, little baby salvia royal bumbles and things. I'm like, don't worry, this isn't a burden. Just enjoy it and hopefully it will grow. But I no. I thought I'd done in Cabea pringlii that you gave me, Alan. Yeah. Uh, I was just, I, I wasn't sure it settled in well and I was terrified. And then, thank goodness, it had actually. I It sort of snuck behind the abutilon. I hadn't noticed oh, it. Oh, does that? It, yes. I planted one on the front of the house this year and it was meant to go up the house wall. Instead of that, it went horizontally along and I have a Selenum rantinetii as a standard in a pot for the summer and suddenly flowers appeared in the Selenum. And, I, you know, it just went along the along the border and then up behind the, the you know, yeah. it was intriguing. Yeah, it went sneaking it, off. It was Especially when an old gentleman said to me in the garden, I rather like that Corbeau, it brightens up that rather dull purple thing, doesn't it? <laughs> Dan, did you grow salvia at Cyania? No, I haven't. I I don't know that one. It it just the name sounds brilliant. Well, it's 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 like, a bit like your Mexicana, but in the fact that it has those the lovely bright bright green calyx, and, and again with a blue flower, and it probably and it's bone hardy in Leeds, so it'd be bone hardy everywhere, I suppose, in the British Isles. But um, it dies down to a whopping great tuber underneath the ground for the winters, which is really good. Yes, that's the ones that produce tubers. That's, I mean, uh, the first time I grew patents as like an annual, I was like, oh, what's this going on underneath? I didn't realise that they, they created those sort of tubers. That sort of seeps them through. The only thing you have to watch out for is the marauding mollusks in the spring because they mm. are very partial to salvia shoots. And actually they will trim them up before you've ever seen them almost. And it's just they're about to emerge from the ground. Yeah. I recall that happening, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been wonderful, Dan. A, a great load of show and tell. I've got so much inspiration. I think structure, evergreens, dry shade, you know, these are all things that I am tackling in my garden. And I'm sure there are loads of people watching and listening who have exactly the same need for inspiration. So thank you. Uh, and thanks for all the wonderful stuff you do with your, um, your blog. I was reading your top dahlias of 2021 the other day. Uh, you oh, yeah. and the bow picking out your your top ones. Some 
some of which or many of which had featured in our daily podcast, which we'll make sure we link to so people can go and uh, can go and enjoy that one. But you're always passing on information. So I'm so excited for Dan Cooper Garden. <laughs> oh, that's very kind of you. Yeah, I'm really excited as well. So, um, yes, maybe if you if, if I get to come back again, I'll be able to tell you more about it. You will. You will definitely be back again. <laughs> Before we wind things up properly, let's fit in some FLOMO, because I know we all get lots of FLOMO from your uh, Instagram feed and your blog. Uh, um, this is, if you've never listened before, the spot where we share the plants that are giving us FOMO that we desperately want to grow. And we were supposed to do this podcast when the chrysanthemums were out, but time rather got away from us. So that's not going to stop me bringing chrysanthemums to the party because I have been adoring your mums of the day on your Instagram. <laughs> there were a couple that really stood out to me. Picasso, because it's basically my favourite colour. So I love Dix to Orange, but the older I get, the more I sort of edge towards the apricots. And you said each antique apricot flower is no bigger than a coat button, which sounded entirely adorable. <laughs> so I want some Picasso in my life. And then also Vagabond Prince, which had large oh, blossom yeah. pink flowers on long stems. Yes, that is a, that is a really nice one. I mean, they're such, I, I, um, you've started me off now. Um, <laughs> That's allowed. Very, very overlooked um, flower, and obviously, you know, potentially the next, the next one to make a big comeback. But um, you know, there are so many good ones. I've I've just been completely blown away this year. I've grown a lot more this year, and completely blown away by um, the sort of variety of different sort of flower shapes that you get, and just how useful they are. You know, it's there. There aren't lots of flowers for picking at this time of year, and and they are very generous in the amount of flowers they produce. You can cut a lot of chrysanthemums off a plant, and it still doesn't look like you've picked any. And I think so long as you get a variety of those with bigger flowers and the little sort of blousy ones, I think E. H. Wilson is one of my favourites, which is a sort of wild collected one, very old. But you know, it looks like what you would find in a spring bouquet, and and it really lightens up other flowers, and and and, and you don't get much of that in November. So they they are absolutely worth their weight in gold. I think. Yeah, we'll make sure we do chrysanthemums properly next year. There's always next year on the Talking Dirty podcast. Yeah. Were there any you wanted to shout about, Alan, while we were on the subject of chrysanthemums? Uh, well, I I loved. Um... Oh, the Emperor of China is my favourite one. Yeah, I love the fact that its leaves go beetroot red just as the pink flowers are opening, pale pink flowers are opening. And this year is thanks to my neglect, and I shall do it again, thanks to my neglect in staking it, because it always has not very nice legs, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> it's quite a tall one, about five feet. Um, it's flopped over. It's, I planted it underneath a shrub on a, a, which is growing on a wall. It's flopped forward and it's covered some some dying stems of species gladioli, which is good. And it's flowering, you know, and the the, the thing, the stems flop, flop forward and the flowers turn upwards and look at you. And so it's lovely. It, it looks absolutely wonderful. So, yeah, Emperor of China is my favourite one. But there are masses that I really like. Another one that I really like has got um, uh, those ray sort of shaped petals, spooned, quilled, spoon shaped petals, and they're quite long and they hang down. And that was given to me as a little my pop mum, you know, as a pot plant. 
and I hated them. And I thought I was quite affronted that I had to be nice to this person that came to this house one day and they said, I brought you this and I had to pretend to be pleased with it. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I thought, well, that's going in the bin. It didn't go in the bin. I actually planted it outside in the garden where I wouldn't have to look at it. I have to <laughs> but the next year, because it had been dwarfed, it had outgrown its dwarfing hormones and it came up and it was about a metre tall and it looked stupendous. I've still got it today. I mean, you know, that was a, a gift that I really should have been more grateful for, I think. <laughs> I'm a little concerned now that every time I knit Alan a present, he's secretly, you know, bringing out this, this great act of being pleased. <laughs> <laughs> it's an art. <laughs> Uh, where are you at with your flow, Modam? Well, I think I think Alan probably just touched on what mine is because um, I love. I think they're called fantasy uh, chrysanthemums, yeah, which that's are right. ones that that have these sort of absolutely ridiculous, um, you know, outer petals that sort of drape down and sort of curl around like moustaches. And I think this just goes back to Alan's uh, amazing winter garden that he's going to have. Um, <laughs> that, <you> know, <laughs> going these, to have. <laughs> these, are, these are chrysanthemums that need a little bit of protection in order to be, you know, truly beautiful. So I think that they are generally sort of classed as greenhouse chrysanthemums. I mean, they, they are, they are, probably utterly sort of pointless as a garden plant but they're probably more grown for exhibition but I I just you know I, I guess the Japanese spent hundreds of years perfecting these marvellous um cre you know creatures that need to be uh, mollycoddled but they are the most spectacular blooms so that would definitely be my flomo I'd love some of those and I'd love to have something to grow them in as well <laughs> Go on then, Alan, what's your flow-mo this week? Well, they, they all come from today and you, you wouldn't be surprised with somebody like Dan on the, on the podcast because, I mean, he's such a great plantsman and there's three plants that I haven't got. Um, I don't know the third, we'll start with the third one, which is a Dickium Yananensi. Now, I don't know whether I've got this or not. Um, Easy with 32 I, acres to lose. Well, no, but... <laughs> I, I was sorting through various gingers that I'd acquired over the years this year and because lots of them had lost the labels and with two new dogs one of their favorite pastime is to steal a label and then go and run away and argue over it and chew it up so that I, I would like to have so and definitely know that I've got it the other thing is salvia mexicana appeals to me greatly because it's it's very late and if I ever do have that um, space to grow it that it would definitely be one that I would like to grow and the other thing that intrigues me is Impatiens balan balaneae I think is it is it Dan? Yes, I think I think it's Balanze or Balania. Yes, Balanze, um, Balanze. it's a handsome foliage plant, but it the um, I'll make sure that that uh, I I send a really good photograph of it for the podcast. But um, uh, yes, it's uh, it's just got really quite uh, exceptional flowers and um but you you'll you'll be able to grow that outside no problem i think yeah yeah well i'm mean, i'm gradually finding myself with more and more impatiens i mean three sorts of sardinii one with the common one with pale mauve flowers but one called flash which has got white flowers with a crimson splash in the middle yeah. um and another one which is just a plain white one which is a little bit boring i suppose <laughs> I've got one called Ravishing Re, hey! which, which has which has got sort of like a smoky pink flower. That's quite nice. 
You should. Uh, I yes, that's that's worth looking. He's writing look. it down. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. This is terrible, isn't it? I mean, this is. You know, the older you get, the worse it becomes. I think. <laughs> I think probably Dan Cooper, Alan Gray, the Talking Dirty podcast has quite a lot to answer for, for the long, <laughs> long plant wish list, the long FOMO list that people have. And all the more so today, Dan, it has been wonderful. Even though we missed your chrysanthemums, we fitted some in and a whole lot of lovely stuff besides. And I suppose the next time we talk to you, you'll either be launching Dan Cooper Garden or in the fray of, uh, of you know, getting it off the ground. So um, exciting months ahead. Yes, I'm hoping I'll have lots of exciting tulips to share with you in the spring. Lots oh, that'd of be nice. going into pots. Not quite finished yet, but uh, getting there. <laughs> the joys of bulb planting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, until then, until tulip time, Dan, thank you so much for a wonderful hour. We will see you soon. Happy gardening. Yeah, Happy gardening, everybody. <laughs> hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.